friends and welcome back to another episode of armor party i am your host mike forrester bringing you something different this time around but more on that in a bit in exciting news myself and a few friends are booked for voyage on the second trip ever on the new disney star cruiser interactive hotel our poor travel agent sarah was on the phone for about 11 hours and finally was able to score us some spots I'm thrilled. I'm so excited for what 22 will have for Star Wars. Myself and the guys from Thank the Maker will be giving reviews, sharing our thoughts, and seeing if the Halcyon Star Cruiser is worth that price tag. Stay tuned. On that topic, though, should we do an episode on more casual bounding? I feel like we should do a deep dive into what makes Star Wars costuming Star Wars costuming. I'd love to share some tips and tricks that I've learned when it comes to thrifting and finding clothes that feel like they fit in a galaxy far, far away. I know a lot of people are going on this trip. I know a lot of people like to dress up when they go to the parks. So if that's something that's interesting, let me know. We'd love to dive into it. But for now, I'm switching it up a bit. My next guest is working on a big project that highlights not only Star Wars, but the history of dressing nerdy. Enjoy this informative episode as we learn about building a group of troopers in a small state to finding out how long costume playing has actually been around. Enjoy the show. I've had many guests on this show talking about the ins and outs of building costumes, but have never had one on who shared about the history of it all. From the Sands of Scarif to the Arena of Geonosis, this multi-costume trooper is also an author. His latest book is titled Cosplay, A History, and is in the final stages of publishing, but he was kind enough to let us peek inside those pages. It highlights not only his time in the 501st Legion, but also looks at the history of dressing up like a geek. Coming from my former residence on the shores of Lake Champlain in the great, beautiful state of Vermont, I am joined by Green Mountaineer Andrew Liptak. Andrew, welcome to the Armor Party. Thanks for having me. Well, Andrew, I'm, I, I know that we've gone back and forth through our conversations of, of Vermont and my, my love for living out on the East Coast and my short stint that I was out there. But, but it's really cool to connect with you over not only costuming, but also this exciting project that you have coming up. And that is uh, you're, you're kind of going over different fandoms. You're talking about your own experience. And where did this whole thing start? Because I know that we're going to talk about costuming because you've got a ton of costumes yourself. Tell me about this book, because it sounds like I need to start reading it immediately as soon as it's out. So the, the book is called Cosplay A History, and it's going to be, um, if, if all goes well, I, I'm, I'm as, as we speak right now, I'm currently in edits. I turned it in a while back, and now we're in the final push of production to get it hammered into shape from like a rough scaffolding of a book into an actual thing that looks like a book. Um, so it, it'll be the, the broad marketing pitch for it is that it is a book that will go from about, uh, about the 1500s all the way up to the present moment. And it will look at um, 
not only the blow by blow accounts of of what we call cosplay, but also sure. the technologies and the history of the technologies that sort of all wrapped together to make this one thing from everything from 3D printing to uh, the the history of social media, um, as well as the community and fan elements of it. So how do uh, fans come together in conventions um, to dress up as their favorite characters? And how does that, how do we relate to our favorite stories in that way? So that's the sort of the big broad picture. Where the book came from is uh, probably seven, eight years ago, a, an editor, um, Joe Monty over at Saga Press, which is Simon & Schuster's science fiction imprint, um, came to me and he had been to San Diego Comic-Con and, and um, we, we'd known each other through the science fiction world a little bit. Sure. Um, and he was like, you know, I, while I was out there, I, I heard this really incredible story of this, this guy who um, his, his wife had died and he wa wanted to honor her by walking um, from wherever their home was to the convent, the San Diego uh, Comic-Con convention. It, it was, you know, it was a, it was a, a long walk. I, I don't remember how long exactly it was, um, but he was really moved by this story and like, uh, you know, this, and, and sort of had started to look into a little bit more about what the Bible first was. And he basically came to me and was like, is there a story here? And, you know, being a member, I'm a little bit biased. But I was like, yeah, there's sure. sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. At, at the, at that time, I, I want to say we're probably what, 15, 15, 16 years old at that point. And, you know, that's not a long time in the, in the broad strokes of history, but knowing sort of some of the, the big broad things, um, of, you know, being founded, uh, you know, Alvin Johnson's story back in the, the mid nineties, um, you know, the, the rise of the prequels, the, just the growth overseas, the heart of the empire. Yeah. Um, how, you know, th there was a lot there. Um, it's a, it's an international story. It's a, it's a story about, you know, star Wars. And from there, um, you know, we put together a pitch, you know, and, and sort of laid out, uh, a big timeline of, of all the big events in the 501st Legion and, and some of the ins and outs of stuff that had gone on. And um, when we pitched it to them, they were interested. Um, and it just, it didn't really go anywhere. There's a, there's a couple of um, sort of nitpicky legally reasons for that. It just, they wanted to be extra, uh, extra sure about a couple things and they had to get approval signed off on certain places. And it just, it just sure. ended up being one of those things we chased for a while and it just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but it was a story that I was really interested in. And because as I had been writing and putting together this, this pitch for this project, I realized that there was the final first is basically a microcosm of a much larger movement that was going on. And, and that, that movement being cosplay, um, we came at the right time for, I, I would say like the broader geek culture to become mainstream. So we, we saw things <laughs> like. Yeah. Lost and Game of Thrones and The Walking Dead um, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe all becoming these big cultural phenomenon. And you know, over that, you know, when I when I first suited up in Stormtrooper armor, and this was back in uh, 2003, um, you know, it was not a, you know, exactly a celebrated thing. It, it was a sure. thing where people would sort of like, hey, look, it's that nerdy kid doing that, that nerd thing. I mean, you know, a lot of friends, my friends, at, at college and, and places they thought it was cool. And, you know, it's okay. Look, I realized stormtrooper, but it wasn't one of those things where you would, you know, sort of like, it, it wasn't like a mainstream thing at that point. Yeah. And you fast forward 10 years and 
Comic-Con is really big. You see people putting a lot of effort into Halloween costumes or, you know, hey, there's a local Comic-Con near me. I've always quietly loved this thing. Let me go and I'll dress up and, you know, uh, the janky broken down Spider-Man or something that's really easy to do. So along the the way, and and of course, people joining the 501st, um, you know, realizing like, hey, you know, I really like Star Wars and there's these new movies coming out. Let me dress up as a stormtrooper because it's something I've always wanted to do since I was a kid. And so sure. there was that whole big thing that was happening. And and so um, the idea stuck with me for a long time. I, I got a new agent um, uh, to represent the book, a, a fantastic guy named uh, Seth Fishman, uh, who works for the Garner Agency, and met him at Comic-Con. We, we had a couple of really good conversations, and he, he said, you know, hey, take, take this idea. Let's, let's do something with it. And um, we basically, I basically went and took it, re- rebuilt it into this much larger history. So where, what, and I was, I was mainly interested in like, where, what are the origins of costumes? Um, you know, how did, how did we get to the point where we are, uh, you know, you, pe- people are dressing up for these stories that they really like. And, and I know in some of the bigger beats, um, there was the early science fiction conventions had happened in the 1930s. There were con- costumes at, at those places um, and, um, you know, anime, cos- uh, anime cosplay, things like that. And I, I sort of wanted to sort of figure out where all this stuff comes together. And, and in addition to that, as I as I did more research, I, I began to realize that, you know, there is more than just sort of science fiction costuming or fantasy costuming. It is, um, yeah, at its core, it's how people relate to a story. And if you are relating to... Um, you know, not just science fiction stories, you have, you know, nonfiction, you know, you've got reenactors like Civil War reenactors or World War II reenactors who are, you know, they are approaching it from a slightly different angle, but at its core, they're fairly similar. So I wanted to incorporate elements of that. How, how do, um, how do, how do reenactors play into it? How do, how does the SCA um, play into this much larger, you know, cultural phenomenon? And um, so we put all that together pitched it to Saga again, and um, they were interested. They bought it. And um, 2009, um, right as I was leaving um, Star Wars Celebration in Chicago, um, we got the approval to go ahead. We signed it. We had all the paperwork had been signed. We got, announced it. and um, I had known that, that I'd be announcing it on the way home. So I, actually, I had started um, conducting interviews at the convention. And, um, you know, I basically just started taking a lot of pictures on my iPhone. <laughs> Uh, sure. My regular camera, and um, you know, when I when I, I there was people I knew who would be there that would be really good to talk talk with. So I started recording audio, yeah. and um, from pretty much the rest of 2019, um, I was conducting interviews with everybody I could talk to. Um, not just you know, file first people. I talked to Alvin Johnson, uh, founder of the file first. I talked yeah, to right. um, other friends in the New England Garrison who were you know extraordinary builders. And um, other people just, you know, in and out of the, the cosplay scene in the cosplay industry and, and most excitingly just discovered a lot of new people. Um, I ended up actually rejoining Instagram as a research tool because I was able to, like, find a lot of really incredible builders and reached out to some and chatted with them and oh, got yeah. all sorts of really awesome stories from everybody. So sure, that's sort of the long winded approach for how this project came about. And so where where it sits right now is it's um i want to say it's about 300 350 400 pages um we're 
I'm I'm currently my editor Dang. and I are bouncing ba- are bouncing edits back and forth between one another. Um, she has lots of track changes. I have stuff that I am continually rewriting and adding to because I, after I turned the book in, um, I, I turned the book in uh, the day before Vermont locked down uh, because of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Right. And my kids came home from school and daycare. Very very good timing because I would not have <laughs> done otherwise. Um, right. But in in the time that I had um, turned the book in and now I had uh, con- continued to conduct interviews. And so I've been adding in, adding in material and rewriting stuff and, and um, finding new pictures. I, um, right now I'm in the process of gathering up all the pictures that I took. I'm getting people to donate some that they have, they've taken over the years, a lot of historical stuff. Um, I've, yeah. I've been scraping some stuff off of a public domain and Flickr. And um, yeah, there's some really cool um, just, images and stories that have have all sort of come together into this really grand exciting story um so it hopefully if all goes well it'll be we'll be done in a couple of minutes um or sorry not a couple minutes we'll be (laughs) done maybe end of this week maybe sometime next week and it will be off to the legal review off to the copy editors and it'll uh, we'll we'll keep hammering it into place at, at that point and then Again, fingers crossed. All, everything goes well with the pandemic, with supply book supply chains and and sure. and all that stuff. Um, we'll have it ready for um, the summer of twenty twenty two. Hopefully by Comic Con, but um, oh. I, I can't I can't I I can't hold, I can't promise that because um, there's just too much uncertainty. But that's that's the goal. sure. I, I've always kind of wondered. You know, Alvin had kicked around some ideas of doing a book and. I told him I would be interested in doing some layout. And then you kind of realize really what a weird place that Star Wars costuming is in. Because in the time before people were just costuming, doing this as a hobby, it was like, you know, George kind of had control of a lot of what was going on within Star Wars. And then they get bought out by Disney. And now Disney is the king of licensing, right? And so then it kind of turns into a different thing. And all of a sudden now, whenever we want to just write about stuff, I mean, I even just look at the changes uh, that we've had to make in terms of how we can market ourselves. You know, that's a big thing that, you know, we can't market ourselves as, as Star Wars characters because that infers that we represent them as a, you know, like a legal entity. If, you know, the star, if the stormtrooper grabs your butt, can you sue, you know, can you sue Disney for, uh, you know, all their money and stuff like that? So it's, it's a really interesting just hearing the difference of some older members describe what it quote unquote used to be like, which I'm sure they're looking through it with some rose colored lenses as well. But I think, I think really it, it is an interesting case to look at costuming even just exploding within the last 20 years which is funny that you say you know you were being a stormtrooper in 2003 and i'm sitting here thinking 2003 that's like the beginning of of toby Maguire's spider-man that that really i think started to bring comic book movies i would say maybe to the forefront that was a huge selling movie and the previous titles, of course, were like X-Men around the same time, but that was still a lot of people who didn't like comic books wouldn't have really gone out of their way. But Spider-Man just had such a, a cool vibe to it. And then what's even crazier is that Batman Begins comes out only like two years later and changes the game completely for the formula of what a comic book movie could be. So I'm loving the idea that you've put together a comprehensive history 
on costuming because I love learning about everyone's story. It's part of why I started this podcast was to just hear other people's story of how we started to normalize this. And like you're saying, how people want to be become a part of the story, but also honor the story. And especially for us as customers, especially in Star Wars, we are the reason we have our CRL is not only to be to look similar from no matter where we are across the globe, but it's also to pay homage to the amazing design decisions that they were making back in 1976 when they were going, no one's going to watch this movie. Why do we have to put so much work into it? Because they loved it. And we're honoring that, right? Yeah. And, and what's interesting, right? 2021, when we're recording this, is a the 20-year mark of a couple of really pivotal things. So I, I was in high school in uh, 2001. Um, so that year you had, um, let's see, Phantom Menace had come out a couple years before. Matrix had come out a couple years before the, uh, in, in 1999. Um, so, but you had uh, Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter movie come out. Right. Um, and then you had Lord of the Rings. And those are the, those are two of the properties that I would, I would point to as probably having the biggest impact in sort of bringing um fantasy and fantastic fiction to a mainstream audience that were really hadn't quite I mean, uh, that, that said star Wars has always been a very mainstream thing. Any, anybody who sort of thought it, thinks of it as this niche thing is, is sort of deluding themselves just because of how right. big it was right. and how big it had remained um, throughout the late seventies, eighties. And then at the end of the 1990s to then, but yeah, you had, you had Spider-Man and things like that. So I, that, that's when I was uh, really getting interested in, in costuming. So I, I was at the end of my, my, my own personal origin story here is I was a, a fanatic from the time I saw the special editions and um, I, I saw those in a local theater was blown away. And like was, I, I vividly remember driving home in my, um, yeah, in my dad's truck, thinking like looking out the window, thinking like, how cool would it be to be a stormtrooper? Um, the Same. armor, you know, to me, the armor <laughs> was just so so cool. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, they were the bad guys of you know this big genocidal alien, uh, this big genocidal army. But you know, the, the right. uniforms look cool. <laughs> yes. Um, and throughout high school, I you know went to shop class and things like that. And I was always sort of thinking like, how could I, how could I make this armor? And like, you know, for a while I was sort of stuck on like, you know, could I make it out of metal? Like, you know, could I convince my teacher to do it? And it just seemed like it was just too complicated. And I just never quite got around to it. Um, And on a a sort of a parallel track, I was in band. I had been pestering my high school music teacher to play Star Wars, this this Star Wars medley for for six years, the poor man. And (laughs) we, he he finally, for my senior year, he was like, yeah, we're going to do it. Final concert, we'll we'll get it, get it out of the system. And so I was like, all right, how, how do we make this even cooler? And I've, you know, I've been reading star Wars insider and, and had known about the final first, like, you know, these guys who dress up as stormtroopers. That's really cool. And like, you know, I went to him and like, can we invite these guys to come to the concert and like, you know, March or stand around or something. And he's like, sure. Why not thinking? You know, yeah. Presumably thinking like, you know, it's just, just make them go away. And, you know, we got a guy to come up and he drove all the way up from Rhode Island. It's like a six, seven hour drive each way. And um, I've got a picture of it. And, you know, it's just like me, this big 
grin on my face, like, you know, my God, there's a stormtrooper. Like, I remember seeing him just, like, in person, and it, it was, like, nothing I'd ever seen before. And I was like, I got to do this for myself. Like, there's there's no way I'm coming, like, I, you know, at the end of the concert, like, you know, we, we finished the music, he was desuiting him, like, you know, how do I get this myself? And he was like, you know, just, you know, send me 500 bucks and a check in the mail and we'll get, we'll ship one to you. And that's, that's how that was done in those days. You know, you knew a guy who knew a guy, um, the, you know, I didn't, didn't really know where the forums were, but he, he's, uh, uh, or know how to join them or, or really know that, that environment. Um, but he, you know, he hooked me up. I got a, a unexpected bonus at work. Um, which was pretty much exactly $500. I was like, I know exactly nice. what I'm doing with this. And yep, yep. Um, mailed it out. End of the summer, it came back, and um, I had it ready. Like, I, I put it together, like, within an hour. It was all this, this janky um, Velcro, and I, I didn't follow the instructions. Like, you really need to use industrial Velcro or blah, blah, blah. Like, right. I just <laughs> yeah. put it all together. Yeah. I was wearing it around. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, was a little, the helmet was a little bit more trouble, but, you know, fi- finally figured it out. And, you know, work for Halloween. And, you know, then after, after that, you know, I went to college. I didn't really do anything with it. I, I wasn't, I think I technically joined the 501st in 2003, 2004, but didn't, you know, really meet anybody or do anything with it just because it was, it was still kind of convoluted. I was focused on college. You know, didn't, I'd bring it out for like, you know, Halloween at college or, or when I, I worked at a bookstore, I wore it on, you know, I was working the calendar kiosk out in the mall and I wore it then. And there, um, yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, I worked at a summer camp and I was, I was wearing it for the kids there. And, you know, it wasn't until midway through college, I went to, um, celebration three in, uh, Illinois, um, Illinois, Indianapolis, Indiana. And, um, that's when I, that's when I met the rest of my people, um, yeah. met all the other five, you know, New England Garrison members, um, met tons of other five first members. Um, I ended up volunteering for the book line. And so I was a trooper at the end of the line that would basically make sure people were, were in, um, uh, staying in line and, and you know, it, you know, the, the person at the end of the line, like, nope, this, this one's capped. Um, and over the years I, I'd been involved in the Star Wars community through the force.net's forums. Um, and I, I had worked for a couple of fan sites, uh, the Clone Wars, it was a Clone Wars Z.com, which was a, like a Clone War. It was a, everything to do with Clone Wars between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, all the comic books, novels, short stories. We were tracking the chronology pretty closely and trying to like, make sense of it. So I, I, I knew a lot of the authors for, from pastoring them or interviewing them. And so that was, I got to meet them for the first time in person and, and, um, you know, went back home, didn't really do anything with it because, you know, there was nobody really in Vermont who was doing that at the time. Um, and it, it wasn't until like after college, I got a, a, a real job, had a car, had disposable income. And then like, Hey, I can go out to this parade, yeah, you know, yeah, drive down to right. Massachusetts or drive down to New Hampshire. So I went to the Woburn Halloween parade, which was our big event and like met a whole bunch of people. Um, I think I went up, I, within a year, I actually, maybe even that fall, I went to, I was, a I went to one of the weird Al concerts. Um, yeah, sure. I, I, and, and, and so the... like from, and there's video of it online somewhere. Um, and so over the next couple of years, you know, I just, every troop I could do, I, I would go out and I tried to, I recruited friends. Um, I had a, a good friend in college who I recruited um, and we would basically get, we fell into a routine for a couple of years after, cause he had, he was, um, he, I, I'm trying to think if he was in, 
college, maybe he was after college, he, was, he had a job locally or something. Um, we would basically get up at like a really early hour of, of the day and drive down somewhere, do the troop, come back, or the night before do a troop here up in Vermont, anything we could scrounge up. Um, Geek Week at a local cafe, um, free comic book day, and then like do a troop that night, drive out really early the next morning, do another one. I think I think our record was probably three or four troops in a weekend. Um, oh my gosh. So and, I think for, for, for context too, like people also don't realize that like Vermont is probably only about three and a half hours long. It is a, it's a, it's not the yeah. tiniest state, but it's a small state. And so for people like California, where there are three garrisons, I believe, which are made up of hundreds of people in each of them, uh, Vermont, we had two and, members. like yeah, you had two members, right? So yeah, there was, there was uh, me and Dave, Dave was up in the North Northwestern part of the state and we, you know, we'd interact every now and then, but you know, it was, yeah. there was just no, in here in Vermont, there was no critical mass for, uh, you know, sort of nerd events. So what we would, what right. we ended up, you know, I wanted to trip as much as I could, but there was nowhere to really to do it. So I had to basically go out and sort of pound the pavement and find my own, um, made you really had to convince good people that they, you had to convince people that they need stormtroopers at their event. You know, that wasn't actually, that wasn't actually the hard part because we'd go to like comic books. Like there's a, a comic book store up in Burlington called, um, earth prime comics. And they yeah. were like free comic book day. Yeah. You guys can stand out in front and, and, and talk and, you know, post your pictures. We did that a bunch of years. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I ran a website called geek mountain state, um, which was basically sort of a repository of all things nerd in Vermont. And sure. through that, I, you know, I met booksellers, um, there were some local conventions and um, that had popped up. So, you know, I, I knew, I knew a lot of the people in sort of like the geeks, the Vermont geek circle. So we'd say like, Hey, you know, if you're doing this event. Let's, you know, do you want troopers? I will, I will show up. I'll bring whatever people I bodies I can bring. So we did a lot of bookstore things. We had a couple of other people by that point. We had a, just a couple of college students in, in at Champlain college. Um, I, my friend Mike, you know, we could muster up like three or four troopers every now and then. And every now and then, you know, I would harangue the rest of the New England garrison, like, guys, come on up. We need help getting stuff up here. Um, and so we, we, you could get four or five troopers. Oh, troopers from uh, Montreal would come down every now and then. Sure. So like Burlington Kids Day, we would get four or five people and, and, you know, get a lot of pictures taken. Um, and, you know, the, there was just this low level awareness of what we were doing. What really changed for us here in Vermont is there was a um, a, a short-lived convention for a couple of years called Vermont Comic Con, and I I want to say I we had a couple of members. And this was in two thousand. It was, it was some, some one of those years, um, probably tw probably twenty fifteen, um, or maybe even twenty sixteen. When, when did the Force Awakens come out? Twenty fifteen. Uh, twenty fifteen. Okay, they all blend together after a while. Um, the Gosh, Force Awakens was coming out. We had a couple of people, hmm. enough people to put together a booth. We had a couple banners that we'd scrounged up from somewhere. And, you know, I, I borrowed a mannequin from somebody. I put my, my clone trooper on it, um, brought up extra helmets. Everything we could throw at the table is like, like this is a thing you can do. Um, here is a sign-up sheet. And we got maybe... And this was like the first big year that Vermont Comic Con was around. So we... There was a lot of people. There was there was um, news interest. The, like, the local TV station was there. Blah blah. blah. Every, you know, everybody was. Um, That's awesome. There, there was a lot of attention on it, and we got maybe fifty names on that that initial sign up sheet. 
most of them didn't email back, but we got maybe 10, 15 people who were like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm all in for that. And right around the same time, um, we, we, there was a whole bunch of new armors coming up online. We, um, there's a, a maker called MTK who we, we had, we'd started seeing stuff from and they, we reached out to them and were like, you know, Hey, we've got like 10 people interested in stormtrooper armor. Can we like do a group Goodbye. order or something? Yeah. yeah. And they, they gave us a discount and we, so we probably had five or six people in Vermont sign up for kits, a couple of people from out of state. And we basically like this, you know, everybody sent in money. Um, and a couple of weeks later we got like, I got like 10 stormtrooper boxes arrive at my doorstep. That's and awesome. we put together a regimen for the, the, the folks locally. We basically said, all right, this week we're going to work on the legs and this is how you do it. It's, you know, trim this bit, put it together. This is how you, you, you clamp them together. This is what this, these strips are for. Right, um, right. This is how you measure it. And then next week we'll do like the arms and the shoulders yeah. and the chest and the helmet. And I think, I think the last thing we did was the helmets and we basically got everybody together at, at a local comic book store, which had a big game space. We took, um, we took it, we took over all the tables and we're like, all right, we're going to do the helmets. So we got trims. We, we put them all together. We got like five or six helmets knocked off in a, in a day. And then we submitted everybody. Yeah. And we, you know, almost immediately, um, we got like another five or six people. And by that point we had like, we were within spitting distance of a squad. Yeah. And which is, which more is 10 people. people for people who are like, yeah. So I think for, I think for people who are trying to figure it out, I'll just side note it is the, the 501st garrison kind of works within these numbers. So once you get over a certain amount of numbers, you become a garrison, which usually represents a, you know, a state or a country or something like that. And then you have what's called a squad or an outpost, which is if you've reached a certain amount of people. So in squad case, it's 10 people. And then you can kind of operate within your own, I want to say identity. So for instance, we're trying to get a squad up here in the upper peninsula because we're quite far. We're at least six to five and a half hours from Grand Rapids or Detroit, which is what almost everybody assumes Michigan with. So we're really far away and we kind of want to be able to let other people in the upper, upper, upper Michigan know that there are stormtroopers here. So for marketing purposes, it makes a ton of sense. Um, so that's, yeah. that's what that, those are the terms that we're referring to here. If someone's kind of curious or hasn't joined the club yet. Yeah. And what, what I would say is that there was, there was a little bit of concern over, over, um, at least within New England Garrison, as we have grown, not not really with Vermont, but like the idea that we are going to form all these little breakaway sects of the garrison, and we we sure. very consciously were were like, no, we don't want to do that. Um, we we just the thing with Vermont is like you know for for years there's just like you know one or two people, and we was very lonely, um, and we were just you know we wanted to make sure that you know the, the I guess the the at, at, if you wanted to break it down to its, its core. I, you know, I just wanted to have this community of people of like-minded people who were like interested in Star Wars, like I was, you know, into to dressing up and and doing the same sort of thing. And we, from the onset, we were very consciously point like pushing, like we want to be a very um, creative, welcoming, positive community for um, you know for for five hundred first, you know, to 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 build this into thing. There had been some drama in the garrison, you know, as there, as there is in any organization. Sure. And we wanted to like sort of set the example for like, you know, this, we can, we can make this, this big, you know, this thing, um, this group, a, a, you know, a, a 
a, a good example for the rest of, of our garrison and the rest of the Legion for how things can be done. You know, it, it, it all comes down to community, right? You know, you want right. to have this network of people because when you have a community, um, and there, there was a, a cosplayer that I was talking to, um, um, M Blackburn for the book, and they were saying that, um, you know, they, they're, they're big in the cosplay world um, as a as a as a cosplayer personality. But they're saying that, like, you know, you can't just go up to like your random cosplay buds and say, like, hey, let's do a build day. Um, the A, they're all right. geographically located all over the place. But also, right. it's just, you know, there's not the framework in place. And that's one of the really interesting things that the 501st has is you have this organizational structure where a you you do have everybody who who has costumes that have to adhere to the same standards um but you also um you do build days you do events and after those events you go out to the bar or to a restaurant and you just hang out and have a good time you see friends you haven't seen right. for ages and right. I, i'd say that like if there was any secret weapon that we had for building the the new for building the, the, the green mountain squad is, is i have a spreadsheet that I put together and it was basically, all right, who do we have in our group and listed all the people who are active, who are active members. Here's where yep. they are. Here's where they're all located. Here's all their email addresses. Here's their forum names. Um, I later added in, here's their pronouns. Um, what projects are they working on? When did they join? What are their, what is the, what is the, I don't have, have phone numbers on it. Um, but you know, we could have put something like that. And under that, we basically said, all right, I went through all of our forums and said, who is here from Vermont? that has expressed an interest here and took yeah, down every yeah. single name I could find. And this was like Smart. a couple weeks worth of, of just going hunting through forums, um, tracked down all the email addresses and then emailed everybody like said, all right, um, this is what we're doing. We've got you guys expressed an interest in this at some point. Let me know if you're still interested. I can take you off if you want, if, if you don't want to, if you, if you're no longer interested or, or whatever. And basically organized it by like, all right, these are people who have costumes and they are in progress. So we put them into one category and then we put, you yeah, know, these are recruits That's smart. and here is where they're at. This is what they're interested in. Here's when I last checked in with them. Um, and then basically, you know, and then because of the Excel spreadsheet, I can sort it by costume type. So like, all right, Hey, I've got five stormtroopers. Um, you know, can we, what do you guys need? Or like, I can, I can look at, like, I look at the forums and the for sale pages, like, all right, Hey, um, you know, Bob, there's a, a short trooper just came on the market. Do you, is that something you're interested in or able to buy right now? And sort of just nice. take a really active, active role in helping to recruit people and to mentor yeah. them and to basically set an example for like, you know, this is how you can help other people do this sort of thing. Um, because one of the frustrating things that I had seen within our own, garrison and with other you know and the the replica props forum or other places um you know you just sort of like somebody will come online and say like hey i want to do this and they're like here great here is this forum go read all of it and it's that's very very daunting um and i've seen people sort of like eh, that's a lot of work um i don't really know where to you know i don't know where to get started so oh yes you know oh yes by putting your putting myself in that position where i can basically say like hey like um you know if you have questions, let me know. I will, I will tell you how to do this. I will look for armor for you. Um, I will come to your house and I will help you trim it. And I, I've done that for a whole lot of people here. Um, yeah. And which you is know, the you know it's a it's a very like intimidating. You just you know, and I, I'm I'm loving this. I have a lot of follow up questions, but you buy this expensive armor 
Yeah. You know, you spend a couple hundred dollars, you know, your 600 to a thousand dollars, depending on the kit. And then it's like, well, now you got to make it fit to your body. And you're like, wait, I'm supposed to cut this thing. Like what? You know? And I know a lot of people who get it, they unpack it and they see how many pieces are in the box. And they're like, I don't and never take it out again. Do this. So that's, yeah. yeah, that's really cool to hear. It's getting that how first you do cut. that. Yeah is is the really crucial yeah. one because then once right because if you've never done it before you don't know what you're doing and i, I certainly didn't when i started um and right. my first my first stormtrooper was an fx which everything came pre-cut i went and it, my second costume was an attack of the clones uh clone trooper um Ooh. you know i had no idea what i was doing and it was it was a it was a jank recast kit that had some very soft pulls and you know i bought it off of ebay not really thinking much about about that sort of thing and uh, you know i I put it together in my apartment's living room. I spray painted it in the dead of winter and, and trimmed it. And, you know, I, I, I figured it out and, you know, I didn't have a, I took a guidance for it, but I, you know, it was, it was one of those things where I, you know, I could have definitely used a hand. Um, I don't think anybody in the garrison really had a yeah. clone at that point, but it, it's just having that supportive network, I think is, is the crucial thing. Um, and this is one of the things that I ended up focusing on in the, in the book, sort of to, to go back to that for a second. Um, the greatest technological um, improvements that I would recommend that I would point to for the the uh, say the the popularity of cosplay or the popularity of the file first isn't three um, D printing. It isn't somebody figuring out like, hey, you know, we can make fo- you can take foam and and with a heat gun and and seal it and make all these cool things. Um, it's social media, yeah. and it's either the original forums that people met on and and shared all this information. Um, or it's Facebook groups where you can set up these pop-up groups to make, to devote it to like the most niche costumes imaginable. Um, like I'm part of short trooper fam, which yeah, yeah. has kept same. Yeah. Um, actually I think that's how we met. Um, yeah, I think it, it is like, it's like, it's groups like short trooper fam and other ones that like, I, that keep the, the interest in those, in those costumes going. Um, and I would, right. I would be really interested in, in talking to somebody at Lucasfilm someday and just sort of say like, you know, so d- is this concentration of fans in any way responsible for, for seeing shore troopers in the Mandalorian and in, uh, at some point, uh, and, or I know that we've seen some um, behind the scenes um, pictures that have had them in there. I would bet that, you know, yeah, yeah. there are some, there's the level of interest in, in the fact that we still see these costumes popping up at conventions and, and online that that will point to, you know, that might, that might be some motivation. It, it might also just be that they have the costumes lying around and they can, you know, easily use them. But um, I have to think right. that it's, it's, it's the fans that are actually helping to, to influence Canon. Um, I mean, I know that the, the Mandalorian Mercs have had some influence on the, on the, the conception of Mandalore and the costumes that we see in the, um, in the TV show whether it's it's yeah. some of the designs or just the way that they're that they wear them, um, I mean, Dave Filoni and John Favreau have have sort of acknowledged like they they when when they when they did the curtain raiser for the Mandalorian back at Celebration, they specifically called out the Mandalorian Mercs. They're like, you know, these guys are all here, 
and you know they yeah and they, they stuck they took their helmets and they stuck them up in the air yeah. i was in there i was in that room yeah that was amazing that was super cool and then for him to announce that he was like is anybody else in the 501st we all yeah. lost our mind yeah and then he's like oh yeah we we used a bunch of you guys in the show and everyone was like what a yeah what that was that was awesome and so you create this really cool feedback loop of 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 fans contributing to the culture that they are uh, for lack of a better word worshiping or 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 trying to emulate. And um, there's a great quote from a guy named uh, Sean Fields who who did this um, freeware short trooper armor that a lot of people used. Um, he had, he's a 3D, for those of you who haven't heard of him, he's a 3D um, designer and he's he started with short trooper, or he, he, he sort of rose to prominence with his short trooper stuff. I met him at Celebration and, and um, he went he's and, the nicest guy. He's he's an awesome dude. Yeah. Um and he 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 did a whole bunch of other things, but he one of the things he did is he did a he did a battle droid. And um Lucasfilm yeah. was like, hey, we we don't have like a physical model for this. Can we like, take your 3D model and you know use it? And and his his model shows up in Rise of Skywalker, which makes his yeah. stuff, yeah. you know, it makes him canon. If, if for any little minor right. details that he has Amazing. made, it it it's now for, you know, it's, it's now canon and any of those troopers who showed up in the Mandalorian, um, you know, if any of them were wearing an FX suit, that, that janky, yeah. it's now canon. accurate. It's now, a, it's now a canon suit. Um, and you know, it, it's yeah. just really, and I, I know that I'm, uh, from what I've heard is that the, uh, the production crew actually bought fan made armor to fill out some of the costumes, like the, the scout troopers, I think, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure I've heard that they are, um, WTF armor. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a EFX helmet, Walt's, yeah. uh, Walt's body. And then, uh, Steph, uh, Steph Mortimer from Steph's Imperial surplus. Uh, it's yeah. her soft parts. Yep. And then the, the Mandalore pennant that he wears, that was a fan. They, they bought that off the internet. So like you have this, this is sort of the interesting thing with the file first and its relationship with Lucasfilm is it has this sort of reciprocal relationship and, you know, they've known about us for years. They've, um, and that's, that's a really interesting story in and of itself. Um, you know, uh, Alvin Johnson got in, he started sort of trooping 97 for the special editions as sort of a, on a whim. And by 1998, you know, he had, he had met other troopers at Dragon Con and like at 98, there's a whole bunch of them there. They, um, he, uh, uh, Jeff Allen, Cheryl Lambert, uh, um, uh, um, I think of who else was there. There's a whole bunch of other uh, other folks that they you know they they went to the costume contest together, and he was sort of thinking like you know this could be a big group. And so over the right. next, there were there were some people who were like, no, we don't want to do that. We just want to have fun. You know, um, That's you don't okay. need to be in the final first to to make a cool Star Wars costume. But like he had this idea to 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 bring people together. Um, you know, on this first on a website, and then you know, hey, there's you know one as my one of my friends in the Newland Garrison had you know very astutely put pointed out once like one stormtrooper is a dork in plastic. 10 of them is platoon yeah. and, and you have strength right. in numbers. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I like to use that quote whenever I can. And so they, you know, you just started this low level build, you know, people from all over the world started emailing pictures in and they, you know, they sort of built out this little framework, you know, they, there was a squad and there's enough people in New York, the Northeast to do the, sure. do this one region. And there's the garrisons, and, you know, eventually like Lucasfilm was sort of like learning, like, you know, Hey, we've got all these fans are doing this. And, um, they basically sent Sa Steve Sansweet out to like go chat with him to like sort of scope out, like, what are these guys up to? 
and they sort of laid down some right. ground rules. Like they met with them and like, you know, look, you know, this is cool, but you know, just don't go selling patches or, or really like infringe on our, um, our, on our IP and, and, you know, represent the brand well, and we'll be fine. And that sort of set the tone right. for the rest of the, for how this relationship has existed for a long time. And that was a really big change for a lot of, for a lot of folks. Uh, and over the course of sure. working on the book, I, I talked to Art Andrews who, who found, or he didn't found a, he's the owner of the RPF and he was an integral member of that from early on. And mm -hmm. he sort of sketched out the environment in the, the mid early to mid nineties. Um, you know, there was people who were building, um, you know, Babylon five props or, or props from other movies. And they were selling them online and on eBay and the studios at the time would basically go and shut them down. Like, like immediate, like they're just, right. it was like whack-a-mole. You'd like somebody would try selling something that would shut it down. And right, through right. the, yeah. through the RPF, because a lot of the stuff was happening, they started, um, I don't remember exactly who was doing it, but the, there was these, there was this license. I think, I think Andrews was part of it. There was a licensing hmm. conference over in Las Vegas where he was located. So they basically went out to these, these conferences and met, the lawyers and the the executives who were doing all the licensing is like, like you know, and, and sort and sort of this made this network of person to person relationships, just to sort of say like, hey, this is what we're doing. We're, we're fans of of these properties. We don't want to. We're not trying to like, you know, deal from you. We're trying to emulate you. We're trying to like honor it. And the as a result, the 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 replica props farm has been like is this really important site and this really important relationship between and sort of connection between the fan community and Hollywood. Um, because yeah. you know, the, the executives of Hollywood, they're not like, they're just, they're, they're not going to connect with the fans on that level and understand like right. you know, what that is. So like that whole relationship began to change over time. And I think that's sort of what set the tone for the, the success of the final first is that Lucasfilm was like, well, we're not going to, we're not going to like come down with you on a, on a huge hammer with a big hammer. Um, they, they did in a couple of cases, there were, there were some early armor makers who were, who were making armor and selling it online. And they were, they were sh eventually shut down. And um, there were, there was sort of that. I, I think that plenty of people knew that like, you know, if they needed to bring lawyers out, they could, but they didn't want to. Sure. And right on the, on the legal side, they're like, all right, we, we don't want to do this, but, you know, if as long as you folks are responsible, we'll do that. And I think that has really set the tone for how a lot of the cosplay community has come about these days. Um, because I, th I think that, you know, this wasn't a mainstream thing. This was, this was like this weird activity that weird people did. And nowadays it's like this, it's a very, it's somewhat celebrated thing to do. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to Comic-Con, I'm going to dress up as this or that. And um, I, I think that now studios have recognized what the, the fan community can do like can, they can turn out and they can, they can be this incredible marketing thing for them. And that's sort of like the, that's sort of the dark side of this is that um, by becoming this big popular group, you know, the final first can essentially do, you know, free marketing for, for this big multi billion dollar corporation that, that really doesn't, doesn't need, need any it. extra marketing to be yeah. honest. <laughs> I mean, I, I would, I, you know, if, I have, and I have gone on a bunch of these troops before. Like I, I, I have trooped, I did a, um, a media tie-in with Snoop Dogg and down in Times Square with some sort of sneaker release that he had been doing with something as a Star Wars branded sneaker or something. And, you know, 
I was one of the stormtroopers in that entourage that escorted him to the around Times Square. And, yeah. you know, I wasn't paid for it other than I get the bragging rights of, hey, I got this, I got to escort Snoop Dogg in, in Stormtrooper armor in Times Square, which always, it's, it's a really great thing to bring out at a party. Um, but yeah, yeah and like, that is a uh, thing to brag about, to be honest. That's, it it that's is very totally cool. cool. I've, I've been on stage with Weird Al several times. Um, I showed up at the Rise of Skywalker. I was, I was one of the troopers at the Rise of Skywalker premiere. And, you know, you, you can, you know, you look through some of the media pages. Like, I'm, I'm one of the, that group of fans that is, you know, that they, they trot out to say like, look at the, how passionate these fans are. You know, that's, and that's a lot of, which, like, sort which, of, uh, which armor were you, Andrew? Cause I know that they tried to get one costume from like the biggest representations from the Legion. I think they wanted one person from each state, which costume were you? I was a attack of the clones clone trooper. Um, and Sweet. We, were, we had a small contingent of clones there, which is really cool because I had never really trooped with a lot of other, I've trooped with, um, um, animated clones, people in animated clones. Um, yeah. the, the new garrison was a, for, at one point a, a hub for all things animated, uh, clone. Um, huh. but I, I got to meet, um, you know, a whole bunch of other people who were, you know, other clone troopers and storm troopers and stuff. That was just, that was just really cool. Um, and yeah, you yeah. Know, I made some really good friends there. Um, but you know, the, you know, go back to that. It's like, it's this, you know, it's this sort of unpaid, you know, you know, are we being taken advantage of as fans for our, our passion for this thing? And I, there is a long history of Hollywood and, and publishing doing this. Um, I mean, just look at anybody who's worked in the comic book industry as an artist, you know, they, they are exploited like crazy or they were exploited like, you know, no, for um, sure. And, you know, so there's that, that sort of that, that angle of it that makes it sort of interesting because, you know, you have very passionate people who, you know, most of them, you know, they, you know, they won't care. They get to, they get to have their moments of fame or they, it's a cool experience. And I, you know, I certainly treasure those moments. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's something to sort of keep an eye on, you know, moving forward, especially because these big branding, these big branded franchises are so popular. Um, and these, these companies wield an incredible amount of power. Um, there's a great example right. from a couple of years ago from uh, Paramount, which had, you know, very abruptly came down with these 10 or 11 rules for how fans could make fan films. And they were... Mm extremely rigorous you could not do anything more than a certain amount of time you could not use licensed costumes that you like from a novos or anywhere else you you could not yeah, use yeah. the word star trek in it you could not serialize it um they could not be you could not hire like hollywood talent which and the re this is a reaction to a big budget star wars or a star trek fan film that had gotten a lot of money on kickstarter um, and mm. Paramount was worried about, um, you know, is this really Reflecting a thing representation? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, is this an official thing? And, but there had been a long history of star, our star Trek fan films. There was a guy, James Crowley over in, um, Ticonderoga who built an entire soundstage. He recreated the entire enterprise sets from blueprints. Oh my gosh. And, you know, had made fan films on it. Um, for for years, um, there was some. Uh, there was actually some new um, Green Mountain Squad members who were in the process of making their own fan film when these rules came down, and they're like, "We can't make our film anymore." Um, Dang! They retooled it and they re they relaunched it as an original thing. Um, but like you know that that's a, a very stark example of like what these big corporations can do because it is their pro it is genuinely their property. Um, you know, we are playing sure. in the playground, and we and the file first is certainly 
at whatever mercy, um, you know, the, what the whims of Disney are. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how that environment changes over time. Um, I think that the, the reason cosplay and the final first has been so successful is because we have had some free reign. Um, it's, you know, we can go out and do events without really having to ask for permission. As long as we sort of meet these rough guidelines, um, we can go to conventions, right. we can dress up in costumes, we can make and buy those costumes. Um, and, you know, as, as long as everybody sort of has an understanding of the arrangement and plays by the rules, we can exist. Right. Yep. But until those things change around and it's, and it, it depends and it's all basically, it's all up to Disney and Paramount and Fox uh, and presumably Netflix or Amazon, whatever other fan bases come out after that, like it's, it is up to them what those rules are. And we really don't have a lot of impact there. So it, it, there's some cautionary tale here um, right, for, for right. how the for for how we interact, um, but it, it's a it's it's an interesting development because it, it's it's one of those things that has evolved over time. Sure, sure. And do you feel like a question? And this had kind of come up in the beginning of the conversation. As we're seeing costuming become more popular, and I use this term a lot, normalizing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we've kind of in the, in the pro probably the past 10 years, we've, I, I feel like as a society, we've kind of leaned into this idea of, you know, being yourself and being authentic. And it's kind of changed the embrace and the, I want to say maybe, maybe something that you had talked about in the early 2000s. Nerd culture has now become the most mainstream culture. Like the idea of having very casual conversations with most people about Marvel and Endgame and people who are watching The Mandalorian that weren't really big Star Wars fans because it's a different set of storytelling that doesn't rely on 50 years of lore, you know? Mm. Um, you know, is there, is there, looking back on what you've kind of seen, have you seen new people be embraced by? You know, the original three that we call, I refer to this in a, in a conversation with Terry Chu, but the three number, you had some people who have been in the Legion for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. um, and there was, there was kind of this idea that they had to earn it. They had to mm -hmm. go to the forums and they had to read all this stuff. And, and there was kind of this almost like rite of passage that you had to ache like I ached to, to, to really yep. earn your armor. Um, you know, and how, how have you seen that in general happen? Because cosplay has exploded in terms of popularity. What's been your kind of observation of, of that, especially in Star Wars, which was kind of a really, you know, I think people talk about how, how come I didn't go to celebration? Well, Star Wars after the prequels and the pre let's, let's be real, the prequels turned off some original trilogy fans mm. and you know then then from there until the disney buyout there was kind of a void for mainstream star wars content like the property was in kind of a really weird spot and so costuming i imagine was also in a goofy spot so there's a couple of things to unpack from this and, and the first bigger thing is you see this with communities in general is you always and it doesn't matter if you're talking about cosplay you're talking about the military, a fire department, uh, your workplace, you always have a, the people who started it with an original vision. And then you have, you attract new people, whether you hire them or they're, they have a similar interest 
or they just right. sort of come in organically who have, you know, they, they, they agree with the original vision or they, they adhere to it or they're, they're running parallel to it or they come with new ideas and you, all organizations grow. There's no, there's no such thing as a static thing. Um, everything, everything is changing all the time. Right. And, you know, you see this within the cosplay community. Um, when in the book, I, I talk about, you know, how the, the, there's a lot of starts for cosplay. Um, one of those sort of acknowledged ones is uh, the world, the first ever world science fiction convention, 1939 in New York city, this kid named Forrest Ackerman, who became a big member with a fandom and, a, and an author and an agent and, and sort of a personality within the science fiction world. Um, he showed up with his, his sure. girlfriend at the time was a, was a, another fan and she made them both costumes and they showed up and everybody at the convention was like, what are you doing? This is weird. But they came back the next year and they, and more people like they had 25 people were wearing costumes and that that's the, the cosplay, <laughs> the costuming tradition at Worldcon sort of began. And so the first, you know, for the first decade or so, it was basically just a party. It's whatever clothing, you know, whatever costume you could wear that would be comfortable to, to dance or to socialize in or to, to, to really wow your friends. And then it became a more formalized thing. Right. Um, over the course of that history. So you have this, like this weird little branch of, or you know, weird little branch, this branch of cosplay history where science fiction fans could, um, go to a convention, dress up and, you know, express their fandom in that way. And one of the really mm -hmm. interesting things, things that I, I was talking to a, a fan from that era, and she was like, you know, there was th this, this is where costumes were. They, they became part of the structure where you would dress up in a costume for the masquerade. And it was, it was a party. Mm. It was like a fashion show. It was a contest and you would bring your, your, your a game to the, to the world con or whatever convention was you were at locally. Yeah. And yeah. that's how it was done for a couple decades you know, up until the 1960s, 1960s, a little show called star Trek comes out and ah. Science yes. fiction fandom has this big influx of new people coming into it. Um, and not just new people, but a lot of women are joining science fiction uh, conventions, uh, are joining science fiction fandom, and, and, and as a result, conventions. Um, because Star Trek reached a much wider audience than the, the, the print. So science fiction, for those of you who aren't really in, immersed in science fiction history, um, 19... Late 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, 50s or so, science fiction was short stories in mag pulp magazines. There's mm -hmm. and there's comic books, but the comic comic book and and science fiction people didn't mix quite as much. There's there's some overlap overlap uh. not as much and not as much in the fandom world. Then you had novels. It was, it was primarily a print thing, and then you have you know you had some TV shows at the time, but you know the, their primitive science fiction. You know the primitive special effects, and you know not a lot of people like them. Um, Star Trek was a little bit different because they had actually real, real. I'm, I'm using air quotes here. You can't see me if you're listening. Um, real science fiction <laughs> sure. authors doing these things, like Harlan yeah. Ellison, James Blish. Um, they were writing episodes of Star Trek, so the, the the community embraced Star Trek to some extent because it's like, hey, our people are working on it, and they 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 liked it. But what Star Trek also did is it brought in thousands of new fans who had never picked up a magazine. They had never been one of those people who like would, you know, had, cause it, cause you have to remember at that time, science fiction was this seen as this childish 
like horrible thing to be a fan of. Like it, we were right. really truly sort of social outcasts. And, you know, I think that that's a, that's a really good way to build a community is to, is to imagine everybody against you. So you can you really bond with your fellow outcast. Um, but Star Trek, what Star Trek did, it, it, it didn't do well ratings wise, but that was still, there's a lot of people and, you know, women loved Kirk and women, women loved Spock and they made their own fanzines and they made their <laughs> own costumes. And the really cool thing about the start about the Star Trek uniforms is that it's a pair of black slacks and a, a colored top and a, um, a Starfleet insignia badge. If you're, if you have the, the wherewithal, you can make the pointy ears. Um, they, they are not complicated costumes to do. And so while I was talking to some of these older, these older science fiction fans they are like, yeah, these people, you know, fans started coming in and they were wearing these costumes in the hall outside of, outside of the masquerade and they called it hall costuming. And it was sort of seen as this, like there was this real cultural friction point because a, a science fiction had, uh, I was, I was reading an, an old, um, uh, a post convention report, a couple from, uh, probably 19, 19, late 1940s, 19, early 1950s. And it was like 80% men, 15% mm-hmm. or, or 85% men, 15% women. Um, you know, it, it was, it was a, it was a, there were, there were women fans and they were, they were there at all levels. They were writers, they were editors, they were fans, they're prominent fans, you know, making their own fanzines. Um, but now the scales were beginning to even out a bit. Um, and you had, you know, women coming in and, and doing fan, making fan fiction, which was a real, like, and, and doing their own fanzines to express this love and fandom of, of, of Star Trek. You know, they would make their own episodes. Sure. They would, um, they introduced slash fiction, um, pairing up Spock and Kirk. And, you know, they would make their own costumes and they would bring them into the co- and and I think that a combination of things is that there was some resentment from the older fans that these are people who are coming in new they have not read the holy scriptures of um all these magazines and all these the um you know well regarded works they're coming in cold they're they're they don't know anything they're only fans of Star Trek they were and there was some resentment of, of, of that you know and obviously some Star Trek fans came in and, and were fans of, you know, the authors and books and all that. Um, but that's, I think that's a real moment where you have this real cult, sort of cultural shift and, and this, this realization that, you know, science fiction fandom is not just one thing. It, it's, it's a couple things. Yeah. And for sure, the same thing happens with costuming is that, you know, you've, you've got people like, Oh, you know, they're, they're doing this costuming outside of the, outside of the masquerade. And that's not how it's done. You know, you don't, you shouldn't be wearing right. stuff. And, and when I was, when I was getting interested, I was a I was a final first member before I was really in part of like science fiction uh, uppercase F fandom. Um, there's a there's a local convention called ReaderCon, which is a, a long running literary convention in in Massachusetts. And um, a, a mentor of mine who I, I'm very good friends with, um, he's a professor and an author. Um, he basically pulled me aside and said, "This is not that type of convention where you bring your stormtrooper armor." And he's he's like, "Don't bring it." <laughs> They, they won't, it's, huh. it's, it's not that type of con. Um, Interesting. And it really isn't. It, it, it's a, you know, you know, people would probably pose for pictures, but it's, it, there's, n- this is not a convention where you see people dressed up 
in anything like that. And other authors have, have noted this as well. And I think that some of that attitude's going away, but it, it's an attitude that has really lingered. I think that, you know, there, there are certain types of costs, there's certain types of places for co costumes and there's certain, and it, this is a product of this community that has built it up. And that community has, you know, it made up the, the international costumer guild. Um, it, they have their own conventions. They have their own rules and tiers for, um, for cost and rules for costume, uh, masquerades right. and contests. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas, you know, the, the, the type of costuming and cosplay you see at Comic-Con, you just show up, you just, you know, you might not, you might go to, you might go to San Diego Comic-Con and not even hit a single panel. You might just, and, and I, I had friends who would go to, to Dragon Con and they don't care about the panels. They don't care about, you know, author signings or anything else. They, they, they plan N different costuming changes over the course of those five days. You know, this morning yeah, I'm gonna wear this crazy. One. Yeah. This afternoon I'm gonna wear this yeah. one. And you know, it, it's 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 a very different culture. So there that sort of what you know goes back to what you're saying is you know, as as far as how organizations change and how they you have these friction points. And the final first has had this as well. Um and it, it is it is an organization with its its high points and its faults, and it is a ever growing thing. Um, in and of itself. And part of that is because, you know, you have a lot of new members coming in. Um, I know that there are, are older members who are sort of like grumble about the old days. And I, I was actually just at a convention um, uh, at Fan Expo Boston to take some la like last minute pictures of the book. And I was talking to a, you know, one of my old friends, who, you know, we, from, from back in the day, and we're like, you know, I don't recognize anybody. You know, like these are all new faces. You know, I haven't, uh, part of sure. pandemic related, but yeah. I which can down. be a weird feeling. I'm sure if you've, yeah. if, if you're a founding member of a garrison, you know, I'm sure it's a weird feeling. Yeah. And, and so the, the, there's always this sort of cultural thing because you always have new people coming in. And, you know, the, the new people who are coming in, I mean, there are people now who are, weren't even born when the 501st was founded and they, they come to fandom and they come to Jeez, Star Wars yeah. in very different ways than we have growing up with the special editions, or if you're older, um, growing up with the original trilogy or growing up with them, seeing them first on VHS. Um, you know, there yeah, are people who yeah. the first oh, yeah. time they ever saw Star Wars um, was The Force Awakens. And, and I think with every, every successive new project, you, you have seen this new influx of, of a new generational shift of people coming in. Um, whether that's the prequel trilogy folks who, you know, they came in and they, they love, they love those films. Um, the, the Clone Wars, uh, the Clone Wars fans. Um, and this is one of the, the really interesting things about Star Wars is that it, it, it is a multi-generational story and you have families that grow up with it and you have, um, people who, um, you know, come in at different points and they love it for, whatever facet they, they, they discovered it at. So you have people right. who have, you know, they love, they love the sequel trilogy. They, you have people who they, they adore the Clone Wars. And, and that's the great thing about the Star Wars franchise is, is it has brought in new waves of people. So if, if you're a Star Wars fan, there's always going to be something new to see because it's such a big, vast world. And there will always be this new group of this new generation of fans who will bring their own interpretation, their own love to it and their own enthusiasm. I think that's great. That, that is, that is the most fantastic thing because, you know, there, there are certainly pleasure. There's certainly nitpicky things I can do. I can, I can say, I hate 
this film or that film or or this thing. There's there's parts of Star Wars I didn't even know anything about because I've just there's so much of it. Like I, I've never played Kotor. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not really up to speed on the Old Republic. Oh, sorry, the um the sure. High Republic, the new series that's coming out. High Republic. Yep. Um. Yep. I never really got, you know, there's, there's parts I just never got in. I never really got into and it's fine. Like, sure. you know, if, yeah. if, and, um, I think that's, that's what makes this, this whole community so great. It's just, you know, has this, this huge multi-generational thing for it. Um, I have a lot, I have very little patience for people who are like, I saw it in 77 and there's no, there's no star Wars after that, that one film, or I, you know, I hated the prequels and they're, yeah, you know, there's, there's, it's dead to me. Or the the people now who were like, everything before Disney bought it is is canon. You know, you know, if if you like that part of Star Wars, and that's all you want to consume, that's great. You you you. Yeah, there's plenty of it to do. Um, right, it was right, a really right. funny little. There's an incident earlier this year that I I did a, a big write up on for for the newsletter I write. Um, and it there was a, I came across a listing for a Star Wars book. That was being it was being advertised as this lost, this lost um, story, and somebody had put it up. Hmm. And it was it was being sold on Amazon, and you know, I looked at the pictures, and it was it looked like a one of the paper those chunky, Phantom Spectre paperbacks that I I grew up with, and it was this what it was is that this guy, um, Lucasfilm had uh, had and Del Rey had hired a writer to write write one of the early EU stories after Timothy Zahn had been so successful with Heir to the Empire. And right, sure. For whatever reason, um, there there was there was some complicated behind the scenes stuff. I think that was going on. Like they basically they basically came back to him and said, "Sorry, you know, we're not going to go forward with this book. You can keep your advance that we paid you, but you know, you can't publish this." Um, Interesting. It, it's called Heart of a Jedi, and um, a Star Wars fan site tracked him down and basically they they found they pulled the manuscript out and they posted the whole thing up online. Um, so you can go up and read it uh, for free on this website, which is great. And then what somebody went and did is they took that, they posted it, they, they formatted it into a book. They did a print on demand thing. They formatted up a cover and made this replica book that would have, that looked as it would have looked like if it had come out in 1992 or 1993 or whatever the original release date was. And there was, I think that it, you know, you, you can go up on eBay and you can find people trying to sell it for $500. Um, and I think I think a whole bunch of people that sounds like, that sounds like Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But I, I think that the reason <laughs> and, and people have paid this, you know, paid absurd amounts of money for these copies um, that are, you know, they're, they're, uh, this is obviously a, an illegal thing to do because it, it's a copyright violate. It, it's it's a violation of Lucasfilm's property, property rights. Um, but sure. I think that there's this appetite for for people to, um, you know, uh, you know, within the EU world, it's like, hey, there's this lost story. I'm gonna go try to. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to find it so I can because I, I like this. I like this particular era, and some of that's a reaction to Disney. And I, I think the EU and the and the prequel trilogy has had this sort of resurgence because of people who have who have been hating on um, the Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and Rise of Skywalker. But you know, there's also right. people who truly who you know they they really love it, and if if they love it. On those merit, you know, on on the merits of those books and those works, you know, more power to them. Um, there's never been any one point in Star Wars fandom where ev- anybody has ever agreed on anything. So, um, but I this I, is true. Oh yeah, I, I have as sort of you know, there's a little bit rambly, but like 
I, I have very little patience for for folks who are like, there's only this, there's only one true type of fandom, mm-hmm. and that's my fandom. And right. I, I I roll my eyes whenever whenever anybody says like, oh, the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian, re- you know, brought all of Star Wars fandom back together. Um, you know, it, it, there's no, I don't think there's any need for to sort of look down on people's. Um, for yeah. why people like what they like or what, why they dislike what they right. dislike. Um, I, I think that it, it, you know, it's a, it's a complicated thing. And as long as you're being honest about why you like something and why you, you appreciate it. And is, as I, I guess, as long as you're not sort of forming your worldview in opposition, you know, as a reaction to, or in opposition to somebody's, you know, true felt appreciation for something, you know, right. it, it's fine. Right. Um, right. but you know, this, it, to sort of go back to this whole theme, like this is a, this is a constant thing within fandom, you know, that you, you always have these, these rivalries or these, these ebbs and flows of, of how people sort of get, get along and don't get along. Um, and this, and, and as it, you know, there, there's certainly, um, costumers have been doing this all along, you know, people are like, yeah, this is the right way to do this. Or no, this is the right way to do this. And it just just go out and dress up if you, that's what you'd like to do. <laughs> I mean, in your experience of, of researching all of this is, is star Wars, what makes star Wars costuming different? And, and there is, I know that we have a CRL, the costume reference library, and there is, and I know that some, some star Wars fans, and even I struggle with it sometimes. It's like, I feel weird using the term cosplay because I don't, think it's play. I feel like I'm becoming a part of the universe that has a story already built in. And there's like a certain code. I feel like a lot of troopers, they, they try to act like they would act in the movie. And, and there's frustration with people who like to go and basically become a giant child's play toy. Um, they, you know, and, and, and everyone's different. Like you said, everyone is different about it. Um, is there, in your opinion, just researching all this, what, what does separate Star Wars costuming from other cosplay? Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't look down on the term cosplay because like what we are doing, even though we do a lot of charity work and we take it very seriously, it is still an enjoyable thing to do. You know, th- this is a form sure. of play, whether or not it, it, is, sure. it is the building, it is the replicating, it's the, it's, you know, I, I like to build troopers because I like get into the ins and outs. Like I like, I like walking around as a soldier for one. It's, it's just a cool feeling, yeah. but like building it sure. is a lot of fun. It's like, it's, it's like putting together a giant puzzle or like a, it's, it's honestly, it's not that it's not any different from any other hobby where you have to build something like it's, it's like model making or sculpting or, right. yeah. you know, building train sets. Like, you know, these are all fairly similar at their core. You have people who have an right. eye for detail. They want to get stuff right. They want to build these little worlds or they want to build these costumes. So, you know, on that level, there's not much that that's different. You know, we, we want to build costumes. We want to find a way to connect with the world that we are fans of. And I think that is sort of the universal sure. underpinning of all of this. What makes Star Wars costuming in particular um, separate from, from, from the rest of it is is the organization of of groups like the 501st the rebel legion mm-hmm. saber guild mandalorian mercs um and all the others that are out there that you know there's 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 that sort of institutional weight 
and institutional organization and knowledge that is locked up in all these forums that we have had for for 20 some odd years. And if you want to build a stormtrooper, there are people who have blazed that trail many, many times before you, thousands of times. Sure. Yeah. Um, and it yep. is very easy to go and build one of those things. It's you can draw on that knowledge. And it's, so it, I basically see it as a very well-worn path. The, the mm-hmm. final first is as far as the Star, or Star Wars costuming. Um, we all start from roughly the same place and we've, we've, we trudge along every now and then you'll find a little side path where like, Hey, there's this new costume, new stormtrooper, or this new type of clone. There's a, uh, the mortar trooper from Mandalorian or, right. um, uh, which this, is funny. Uh, Let me also say side note, Andrew, MTK kits are sold by trooper Bay, Mike from Trooper, who is the M and MTK. Mm. And he goes by Trooper Bay now and he sells the MTK kits. Oh, is that one of the, he the was mortar the trooper? guy. Oh, he was the mortar trooper. Well, he was the guy who made the, um, the pauldron, okay. the yellow for the mortar trooper. Nice. So you're, it's yeah. like full it's, circle. It's, it's kind of yeah. cool. Um, so anyway, you have these little side paths that of people who will blaze their own trail to either make, you know, to make any type of new trooper that comes out. Now you've always got the first one, right? but you have that, that underpinning infrastructure of the 501st to make it happen. You have the, the knowledge base that you have because you, you people know how to build these costumes. They have all these resources they can draw on. You have this underground economy of trooper costumes that you can buy. Not, you know, right, not none of this, right. is, you know, uh, pretty much everything. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much, much any, any trooper, any part. Yep. Someone, you can, someone you can find it somewhere. It. Or you can, nowadays you can 3d print it. Um, or you right. can, you know, you, you can find them or whatever, or you can find somebody who can make it. Um, and then you have like the, the rigor of going, um, through the CRL process in, 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 you have to basically justify how you have built this and make sure that it is up to the stand, this international standard that the, that the group has a consensus sort of upholds and, you know, the, the group sort of, um, through our elections and the people we bring in as L- LMOs and all that, you know, that is right. Sort of that qual- it's basically a big quality control check that I think is, is sort of the, the most important part of, of star of, of that, this particular element of star Wars costuming if you want to, if you want to build any of this stuff, the knowledge is there and it is preserved in these forums and in the, in this, this, this base of people, um, the world wise, canon wise, the story, um, you have this big world. And I think that there's just a lot of attraction because there's so much there. There's, if you like, you know, Star Star Wars is, is almost a genre in and of itself. You can find anything in it. You can find hard military science fiction with the Republic commando books, you can find Top Gun with their X-Wing novels or, and the X-Wing yeah. games and the comics. You can find right. archaeology with Dr. Afra. You can find right. epic right. fantasy um, with the Jedi or, or in, and, you know, any, any number of things. And, and the same thing goes with costumes. You can find any number of costumes depending on your skill level. If you're not very skilled at making armor, you can certainly build, you know, you can make a Jedi or you can make a pilot commission all this stuff and wear it. Um, uh, so I think that, I think that, the, that, that, that wealth and diversity of, of materials and costume types really helps. 
And of course, you know, you have this built-in lived-in world with a really cool design, like the, the Stormtrooper. I mean, the reason I think that we are appealing, you know, the Stormtrooper's appeal is this, they look cool. The Stormtrooper right, is probably right. the best-looking trooper out there. Um, I can agree with that. The, there's this, like, everything about the about the, the, the effort that they put into making it look lived in. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that really goes a long way. So I think that that's a, a very big appeal thing, a, a very big appealing part of it. And obviously there's some people within the cosplay community that is turned off by the, the file, you know, we're snooty, we're insular. And yeah, we sure. we tend to be. I mean, but I think there's some advantages that, that comes to having those standards. Um, and again, again, like I'll tell anybody who wants to, jo- to do like a Star, Star, Star Wars costume, you don't need to join the file first to make a good Star Wars costume. You, you can build up, you can, you can poke around our forums and look at whatever knowledge there is. Um, right. And do your own thing. You know, I, and I, I see people worrying excessively about like, you know, Oh, I, I really want to do this with my thing. Like, go do it. Like, you know, if you want to make a, a batch sure. crazy stormtrooper, you know, more power to you. They like, do what you do. What you yeah. really love. Um, but you know, there's, I think that again, there's that sort of institutional gravitational weight, um, within mil- within the military history world, we we sort of call that like a um, uh, a center of gravity. And I think the final first yeah. certainly has that sort of center of gravity, just because we've been around mm. for a long time, we have that expertise, and you know we've we've, sure. we've done it. Um, and you know, I think that that comes with some downsides. I mean, the final first does not allow foam construction. Is that really right. wasn't a thing when when the final first was a ra- was first starting out. And it, and it's also, but it's also the way, it's also the way that they made them, you know, there is something cool about, you know, being able to take the, the poles and, and having the clack clack of the, well, one time was hips, but now it's ABS. But, you know, I think that's, I think that's a cool part of it, but obviously with the newer stuff now with the silicone pieces and everything's flexible, like there barely anybody is replicating that. And so we are a kind of a difference of. A yeah. lot more people are 3D printing as the injection molded costumes are getting more and more out there. And that's kind of the way that they're manufacturing now. Yeah. I, I think like, you know, foam, foam is one of those really cool things I've came on, I came across while, while researching the book is just like the, the things that people can do with that material is just astounding. Like, you know, either making halo armor. Right. I took some pictures of the folks who, uh, who cosplay as destiny, uh, play, uh, destiny soldiers from the video game. And they have sure. done some incredibly beautiful work um, with, with foam construction, like, you know, really intricate designs, stuff you really couldn't do with, with, you know, your standard vacuum plastic. I'm trying to think of, yeah. uh, there's, there's, there's just look at any other, like, you know, some of the other big top tier cosplayers that are out there that have been working with this stuff. And there's, they do some really amazing designs and, you know, I, there's certainly co- characters that people could do, you know, you could easily make a. I, I, there, I found some directions for how to make a stormtrooper, uh, a clone trooper out of out of foam. And one of the one of hmm. the interesting things that I, I I've sort of come to realize is that it is an economic um, equalizer in a, in a lot of ways because it is cheap, and you know it it. When I was starting back in two thousand three with with stormtrooper stuff, you know I could not as a high school student, make my own vacuum former and make my own armor yeah, right, exactly. because you'd have to mold all the yeah. bucks. You'd have to buy the plastic. You'd have to right. make the machines themselves um, or buying a kit of stormtrooper. You know, $500 is not a small amount of money. There is a, there is a economic cost to, to joining the file first 
and you know, I we we regularly tell people that you know, prepare to budget five hundred to six hundred to a thousand dollars per costume, and you know, if you spread that out over a bunch of time, you know, that's more manageable, but it's still a lot. And you know, if you are somebody who cannot, you know, who you're counting pennies or you know, every dollar you you take in to to make ends meet, you know, that this is not a yeah. hobby that you're going to be able to get into. But right. if you get a bunch of floor mats for a couple bucks each and you have access to glue and some paints and a heat gun, you know, fairly easy tools to pick up, you can make you can join the cosplay community and, and do some incredible things. And I think that's a good thing. It, it, it is a way to bring more people into the group, into the, the culture of cosplay, the culture of fandom. Right. And when you have new people coming in and joining a culture, it is inherently stronger because you get new ideas, you get new voices, you bring in people who might not be traditionally welcomed yeah. or who have access to this sort of stuff. Like, you know, I, I think that there's probably that the cost of um, joining the 501st is, is a reason why it looks the, the way it does you know, predominantly sure. white men who are, um, you know, of a certain age and economic bracket. I yeah. think that, you know, any culture that sort of stagnates, you know, you, 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 or, or group that sort of looks one way and exists only in one way, you know, it's, it's not healthy for it. So I think that's a good way to, to sort of bring more people in and, and get new voices in and get more interesting people or, or get interesting people who might not have been able to attend in the first place. Uh, and this is yeah. one of the things that there's a really good example of this with with the um, the costume company Anovos. When they first introduced their Stormtrooper, they priced it at a ridiculously low rate. It was something like three hundred fifty bucks. Yeah, it was, is, I, it was either three fifty or three hundred seventy five bucks. That was the very was cheap. that the Alpha original it, kit? Yeah, it was like it, it yeah. was. If you jumped in, if you jumped in early enough, it was it was their 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 the way they did their pricing scheme at that point. Where if you the earlier you put your money down, the cheaper you, you would, the less. You yeah, had. I got it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that huh. first wave of stormtroopers, I, I looked at the numbers, and from they got the license in 2014, and there was like seven thousand five hundred first members. Um, fast forward to today, that number has doubled. There are right. more. There are more people in the final first in a shorter amount of time than had come before. Um, that is an incredible wealth of new people coming in um, to a, to a, a culture and to an organization, um, and you know it causes some growing pains too. I, I, we certainly have our our share of them from people who are like you know when when, a, when you have any any influx of new people coming into something like that, you're going to have some you know, differences of opinion and new ideas. Um, I think that, you know, long-term that will make things um, better. You have the 501st is, is the, the biggest it's ever been. And I think that the reason that it has grown so much is, A, you have the ease of access to a lot of these costumings, uh, these costume types, whether that's an Ovos, whether that is the access to 3D printers or the need, the ability to make other new costumes that don't require a huge economic um, commitment. And you can, you can bring in a lot of new people. Uh, you know, as a result, we, because it's, it's easier to join, um, there's a lot of new 
products. There's a lot of new media, the Mandalorian, the sequel trilogy, the right. Clone Wars, Bad Batch, all this yep. stuff. You have this condition, you have this perfect condition of people coming in. And I think that, you know, going back to our early part of our conversation where you have, you know, 20 years ago where you had Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Spider-Man, um, that's what started to bring people into this, the larger science fiction fantasy community as there was more stuff for people to talk about. There's more, there were stories that people were finding interesting and to, being told in new ways. Um, I like, I like to point to there's, there's three shows that I like to point to. One is lost from ABC, which ran from what 2005 to for a couple seasons, a bunch of seasons. And it was a very serialized intriguing mystery that that just locked in people's attention i mean um, it also helped having jj abrams do he did he directed the, he did, the directed pilot lost. which yeah, is he did lost um but he, he right and that was like arguably the greatest pilot of all time uh for they went over budget it was super expensive yeah. and it it got, I mean, the intrigue that I i don't think I've ever watched a second episode harder and faster yeah. than when that first episode is over because the whole premise was so intriguing. So, I, and it was a blend of science fiction. It was like an acceptable form of science fiction and, and or fantasy right. or horror or, or thriller or whatever. It was a blend. It was, it was really, it was, it was a lot of genre fiction, but it was like genre fiction for quote unquote normal people. Um, yeah. <laughs> you have the, the the second show that I would point to is the Big Bang Theory, and a lot of people okay. sort of roll their eyes at it. I, I went and rewatched it um, last year or the year before, and I, I watched all the from beginning to end, and it 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 has its cringeworthy moments. It, it's it's horribly sexist and and racist at points, um, but it and it, it's not always genuine, and it's like it's it's a it's portrayal of of geek people, but it it was enthusiastic right. for sure. it. And I think that it, because it, it was an incredibly popular show, and I think that because it ran for so long, and because it sort of portrayed these these lovable nerds as being these very earnest people who just love this stuff, no matter like you know if uh, even if they're like the people that you know you might have made fun of in high school, like you know they loved it, and, they, the, the, and it got better over time. The last couple of seasons were actually pretty good. Um, I think that did a lot to normalize the idea of comic-con culture of cosplay mm -hmm. of dressing up for halloween of liking comic books along with everything yeah. like you know marvel the marvel cinematic universe the dc expanded right. universe um and then the third show i would point to is game of thrones because um that was a complicated yeah. dense intriguing epic fantasy that took the subject material seriously um and not you know because science fiction has always had this sort of hokey you know, pulpy origin that people look down on. And I think that like what, what game of Thrones did is it really showed that you can tell these stories in ways that are, you know, Hey, Oh wait, this is relevant. This is really a story about climate change, or this is really a story about, um, imperialism, imperialism, colonization, oh, right. um, uh, racism, classism, yep. take your pick yep. of the isms. And it, it portrayed it in a really compelling interesting way at least for the first couple of seasons they sort of trailed off a little bit sure. at the end there um, yeah <laughs> and through a combination of all of those factors and, and on top of that you have jj abrams star trek movie comes out star trek movies come out for you know some people like him some people hate him but they, they did really well sure you had um you have the you have star wars comes 
comes roaring back. Um, you have the you know event the Avengers saga, which just keeps building and building and building. Um, you have Stranger Things, which has done more to promote Dungeons and Dragons than than Wizards of the Coast ever did, and sure, just yeah. all of these things. Um, even and then you even have like you know Ready Player One as a blockbuster book. Um, you have James S. A. Corey as The Expanse comes onto 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 bookstore shelves and then the TV. Yeah. Um, you just have this this huge confluence of, of factors that come in, and that as you have all these people who are like suddenly seeing genre fiction in a new light, they're able to say like, Oh, this is, this is how this comes about. I, I think, I think really this is such a great conversation because I know that we have a lot of people that have considered getting into costuming and there were always those, I want to say those barriers. I work with a lot of college students, right? And so mm-hmm. when they find out that their, you know, their boss is, you know, dresses up as a stormtrooper, it's, crazy how different even over the past since i've joined the group even over the past five years it's gone from wait why to oh my gosh that's amazing i wonder if i would like to build one. i i it's really quite interesting kind of seeing the dynamic but i think a lot of that is is when people ask why we all have our reasons mostly it's because we're just hyper obsessive with this franchise but also that like you said the organization and though the Legion has to, of course, tell its itself and remind ourselves that, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're a costuming group first, but you'll find that a lot of people are very charitable with their time and they, and they like the change that they're able to bring through Star Wars. And that's something that I think is, is, is really cool. And so, you know, it's just turned into a very interesting overview of, like I said, pop you know nerd culture became main culture and the amount of people that i think respect my love of this franchise because you look at the amount of money that people have spent on movie tickets to go see all the mcu movies and the amount of you know the the merchandise and the you know everything is just really a fascinating observation and i'm glad of course andrew that your book is going to highlight that because i can't wait to not only read about the 501st section, but also just really see the differences and the similarities among people who like to put on costumes and either check out of the real world or extend the world that they so love about, you know, a fictionalized or, you know, nonfiction uh, universe. And and I, I, I love it. I love, I'm so glad that we were able to talk about it. So tell me a little bit more about when you think, so cosplay history is going to be, where are we going to be able to find it? That's what I want to know. It's like when, it, let's say 2022, I'm going to do a follow-up and say, Hey, where can we find it? But what, what is the idea for the distribution? Is it going to be something, uh, you know, will we, we be able to find it in bookstores? Yeah. Oh yeah. This, this, this is, this is a a have you know this this is not a self published thing. Um, awesome. It, it's a I I went through the tr- I went through the traditional publication process that you would get for a book, and you know my, my own little quirks into it. I I didn't have to get rejected by twenty people to get it through to a publisher, but right. um, I we had the we had the idea. We took it. I I was represented by. Um, a book agent, literary agent, who 
Awesome. Is a, a superstar, awesome person. Um, he's, he's the, he's the guy who represented, um, uh, the three body problem. Um, the author's there and he's represented, um, mm. people like Becky Chambers who wrote a, the fantastic, um, long way to a small angry planet or Anne Leckie who, um, represent who who's um wrote ancillary justice uh these are some some science fiction books that have been really well acclaimed and and i'm really honored to be part of that um we brought sure. it to a publisher that has a really it's a it's a newer newer imprint from a from a, one of the the big five publishers now big four publishers in the publishing industry um and this is a publisher that has published um Nanidi okafor uh ken Liu, big name science fiction authors and they have a, a really good stable of of folks and you know it's they there will be um you know i've got a i've got a great editor who's working on it who's who's right now finding the the mistakes that i've made or or are correcting you know correcting some typos <laughs> or they say like hey sure. maybe you should reword it like this or maybe you need to expand it a little bit like that or or talk more about this sort of thing and so we're, we're you know it, it, there's a lot of people you know this is not just my book that's a whole team of people behind it um Sure. So sure. once once it is through the production process, um, so that, that that's those of you who aren't familiar with the the ins and outs of publishing, like you know, you don't just take a book and and just you know put it into a printer. You you have the, it goes through this whole editorial process. It'll go through a legal legal review. Um, I'm going through the process of get, collecting pictures and collecting, um, um, you know, people have people have to sign off on it so I can you know can use can use the images and and stuff like that. It'll go through the copyright, uh, the, sorry, the um, copy editing process. I think the, I think, and this, 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 this will slip a little bit deadline wise. I think by February, it'll have to, we'll have to have it completely signed off on and done, uh, finalized um, in order to go off to printers. And providing the publishing industry hasn't imploded because of paper shortages or uh, printers going out of business, which is a thing that's been happening. Um, you know, it'll get printed, it'll get put on a boat somewhere and brought over to the U S and put into yep. places like Amazon and your friendly local indie bookstore, which you should go out and support. Um, yes, yes, yes. And, um, they're, they're working on a cover for it right now. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but I've, I've heard it looks cool. Hopefully I'll see it soon and we'll be able to reveal it somewhere, uh, at, at some point. And, um, yeah, it'll, 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 it'll be a real book. It'll be a, you can go to a bookstore and hopefully buy it. You can go to Amazon and buy it. Um, hopefully people will like it. Um, I, I think the one thing, if, if there's any one takeaway, I think I want people to get from it. It's just that it's, it's a history of, of fandom. It's a history of people appreciating yeah. a story and loving yeah. that story enough to try to be part of it or to try to put themselves in it and to try to make it something of their own and finding other people along the way that feel the same exact way that they do. And I think that's a glorious, wonderful, chaotic and beautiful environment and history that we've, we've come up, we've come across. I think I, and as I, I think I said before we started recording, I think I've only, it feels like I've only scratched the surface just because it's yeah. such a big unwieldy field. And there's, there's so many people like I've, I've interviewed a lot of people. Some of those interviews just won't make it into the book. And I just know that as soon as I, as people get it in their hands and, or people start reading about it, like they're like, why didn't you interview this person? Or, or why didn't you talk to this yeah. person? It's like, yeah. well, 
Right. If I knew about them or if I knew about this thing, or if I had time, like, you know, there's all these, you know, sure. I only had a, you know, you have a certain amount of time to write it before you have to get it out. You, you can only, you, you, yeah. you, you write it until it's good enough. And then you have to stop at some point. And that, that we've, we've hit yeah. that point. I'm very happy with how it's turned out. And I just, it, you know, there's, there's so, it's so much more to do with it. Um, and it, it's like one of those things that I'm going to keep, you know, once the book's out, I'm going to keep doing stuff with cosplay. I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a writer and journalist, so I'm, I'm definitely going to be keep writing about them. I'm definitely going to keep going to conventions and taking pictures of people and, um, you know, post them up online just cause I just love this whole community that we're part of and just right. seeing the creativity, seeing the friendships that come out of it, seeing this, the, the, like, you know, just seeing those, those favorite characters come to life. Like I, I still get goosebumps when I see Darth Vader walk by, or I, I just like, I know break out in a grin. <laughs> I break out in a grin whenever I see BBA. And like, one of the funny things, yeah. any, anytime I see people like interacting with BBA, everybody sort of like waves at his eye. Like they know it's not really BB eight, but you can't help but right. be like, Oh, Hey, cute little yeah, guy. I know. Yeah. Um, you know, or yeah. they're seeing stormtroopers or seeing Batman or it's just all these, you know, it's just, it's just so wonderful just to see people have this enthusiasm. And, you know, I, I try not to have a persecution complex, but, you know, being that kid who people like sort of look down on this sort of thing, like, you know, seeing it become such a mainstream thing is just so great now because everybody can yeah, share yeah. It. it. Everybody can enjoy it. And you don't yeah. need to feel sort of ashamed or like, oh, I guess I, I kind of like, I kind of like comic books or, or Game of Thrones or, <laughs> or, or Dungeons and right. Dragons. And I don't have to feel bad about that anymore. And I think that that's, you know, it's healthy to, to be yeah. honest and to be able to express yourself in the, in those ways. And right. I, I'm, you know, it's, it's so cool to be able to see this become such this big, huge thing. Um, and you know, or, or become even bigger. It's always been sort of this big underground thing. So, um, sure. hopefully, hopefully what my book will do is, is we'll, we'll share that story. It'll introduce people who might want to know more about it, whether you're an experienced cosplayer who just doesn't know much about where it came from. Um, there's, you know, the, there's a deep, deep history that, you know, we, I, the book goes all the way back to the 1500s and all the way up to the present. So, you know, Jules Verne, who wrote that is um, so cool. 20, 20,000 leagues under the sea. He was, he threw a costume party and people showed up as his characters. Um, there were people <laughs> who were dressing up as there's a, there's a comic strip called Mr. Sky Gack, um, that was published in the U S in the turn of the uh, 1900s and people would dress, people liked the character. So they'd dress up as him and they would like show up in these random places. And every now and then they'd like get arrested because you're not, there were, there's masking laws and you couldn't wear a mask in, in public yeah. in places. Right. Um, I think it, that had something to do with the KKK. But like it was, it was like sure. one of those random rules that was on the books. But then you had people show up to this little gathering of nerds in New York City, and they started this whole thing. And then, um, yeah, it just goes on and on. So I, I'm, I'm, That's... I'm excited for people to read it, and hopefully, hopefully, people like it, and um, you know, we'll be maybe there'll be somebody who'll be moved to make their own costume because of it, um, or or just sure. get into the into the culture or. or appreciate it a little bit more so well the the spirit of of creativity and i think the opportunity that we have as customers to bring others into really embracing their love of something and i think that's a really cool 
and rewarding experience to be a part of and to see that. So I, I can guarantee that anyone who is listening to this podcast will, I'm sure, love this book as well. So Andrew, we are wishing you the best for cosplay, a history to come out and absolutely blow our minds with how long this has been a beloved culture and a beloved activity um, in, in humanity's quest to, to be a part of something and to, and to, and to really show off their creativity. So cosplay history is a book that's coming out in 2022. Uh, follow along with Andrew. It's going to be awesome. But before we do that, Andrew, I can't bring you on armor party without doing a lightning round. We got to do one of those. Are you ready for that? Uh, hopefully. <laughs> All right. So Andrew, you're an author, you're a writer, you get to write one character in Star Wars for a short story, whatever it might be. Who do you write their next adventure for? I would pick Corin Horn. He was the central character in the X-Wing series by Michael Stackpole. And he was a character that I really loved when I was reading through the old novels. And I actually wrote, I think I wrote some fan fiction about him way back when. but I just, I just I love this this idea of this this uh, you know guy becoming you know as a as a X wing pilot going off on adventures and doing that. That was that was always the probably the part of Star Wars I liked the most, aside from stormtroopers, uh, was just the sure. the the X wing stuff. Um, if if I had a one dream project that I could do, if I was ever invited to do something, I would love to do like a hard science fiction. Um, my background is in military history, so I'd love to do like a hard science fiction military campaign within the Star Wars universe, you know, maybe to do with the X-Men yeah. series. I'm literally looking for cool. the, the Rogue Squadron movie. Um, yeah, same. My second answer to that would be I would I would love to do like a, a, a hard, uh, basically a hard science fiction novel about, you know, some sort of some sort of trooper within the science, the Star Wars franchise. That's like. Do, you know, there's there's some there's been a bunch of, of short stories and, and novels about clones that have been really excellent mm-hmm. i'd love to i'd love to find some way to add to that tradition somehow well they say the pen is mightier than the sword but what is your favorite lightsaber from the star wars saga um i'm gonna be boring i'm gonna be with uh, luke skywalker's uh from a new hope um i have a i have a replica of it here from from uh on my desk from um galaxy's edge yeah it's just a it's just a it's just a cool elegant design of you know it's, it was made from a camera and it's just it's, I, I'm holding it right now. It just it feels cool. So, yeah, boring, yeah, predictable absolutely. choice, but I, I like it. That's okay because you know, out of all the lightsabers that I don't have, the one that I do have is that same saber. So I'm with you on that, Andrew. If you could keep any prop from the Lucasfilm archives, which prop do you take home? Boy, that's a tough one. I think this part of the problem is I can make a bunch of these. And I have a bunch of these. <laughs> um. I love that answer. Why would I take anything well, home? That's, if I can that's just the make problem. It? I, like, I, my initial question would be like, <laughs> would be like, well, it's I, a short trooper helmet, but I have one of those, and I have yeah. like the 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 data cartridge, um, that was in Rogue One. So that, I, I you know I already have one of those. Sure. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. That that's there's. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I would I would just have to say there's not really anything that I can think of off the top of my head. 
That's right. That is an answer. That's totally fine. Are you a lightsaber or a blaster at your side kind of guy, Andrew? Blaster. Um, yeah, I, as I said, I, I come from a military history background, and I, I like the the military elements of of Star Wars. So I've always found that some of the some of the, the the design is is pretty cool. Um, but also, like, I, I'm sort of come from the Karen Travis field of of looking at the Star uh, as the Jedi as sort of this really messed up sect of people who needs to work out some of their issues and they shouldn't be in charge of them, <laughs> sure. the clone, the clone army. <laughs> so I, I like the sort of the more tangential, uh, sort of the more tangible down to earth elements of the, of, of the franchise rather than some of the more mystical parts. So. Sure. Well, you shared your, your appreciation of seeing people interact with BB-8 and across star Wars, we know droids as companions, which droid would you take on you? With your next galactic adventure, you know that's a, that's another hard one because part of the I have a tendency to overthink Andrew, these things. That's part of the lightning round. I'm trying to stump you. I know you have. Um, yeah, I am not really sure that I would I would pick any droid just because there's if I if I'm going to overthink it, you know, the droids are sort of this weird quandary of like enslaved person within the Star Wars universe, and there's sort of that really awkward un questioned part of it that's kind of sure. always kind of found kind of weird if you had the option to work on a star wars project as a freelancer which project or role would you love to have mm, um i sort of go back to like the the if i was ever I, I, i'm a writer so i would i would love to write something um and and contribute to the franchise in that way and uh, sure if i could if i could do some sort of hard science fiction or military science fiction element of, of the franchise. Um, that's what I would, I would love to do is, is to, is to, to come up with some sort of story that really delves into that, that element of, of the franchise. So. Yeah. Maybe yeah. something about well, your costumer too. So yeah. I, I figured, you know, if, if, would you like to build costume? Would you like to write? I had to ask. Oh yeah. No, right. I would definitely write it. Um, cause then, you know, once, once you write up and come up with it, you know, you can, you can make, you can make whatever you come up with. So get the both best sure. of both worlds. That's a good point. Hey, all right. So you've get, you get to pilot any ship from star Wars, which ship do you choose, Andrew? Well, that's easy. That's, that's the, um, Republic gunship, the lat, uh, the, what is the good, lat? Good choice. Uh, whatever the clone, I, I can't remember the L A L A A T dash B. That, uh, that to me is probably the coolest airframe in the franchise I, I i just i love every part of it i actually um my personal reward for finishing the book is i bought the um ultimate collector series lego edition of it, it it's, it's a sweet giant box it is sitting next to me haunting me telling me to finish because as yes. soon as i finish it I, I finish the book i can i can build this with my son and that'll be that'll there be you cool. go because I, I there you go it's just the coolest it's the coolest well, vehicle it, it, it is an awesome, it is an awesome de design and the UCS series is, is legendary. And, you know, I, I think my only regret with not picking any up is that when I see people build them, I go, I really should. But then I also say that I could spend that money on more costumes and Food, then I'm like, but I can't spend that on UCS. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so, uh, Andrew, I, I've got to say, this has been a, a awesome conversation I love anyone who is super dedicated to 
pretty much anything, uh, especially involving Star Wars. And to see someone uh, that's not only a Star Wars costumer, but also just a fan of history and a fan of understanding that stories need to be told. Um, it, I, I'm so excited about this book. And I'm glad we were able to have you on Armor Party. Uh, so Cosplay History, again, a reminder, is going to be out in 2022. Uh, so Andrew, where can people follow along with you to kind of just get updates and see where the where the process is at? Yeah, so I, I'm i on Twitter pretty frequently, um, at Andrew Liptek, L-I-P-T-A-K uh, is my last name. And um, that's, I, 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 I'm trying. I'm trying to sort of detox from social media a little bit, so I, I, sure. I I'm trying not to post there as much. Um, I write a newsletter called Transfer Orbit, and you can find that at um, the URL is transfer-orbit.ghosts.io. Um, it's a newsletter um, that you can subscribe to. I post once a week for um, most usually once a week. I do like a end of the week roundup for like whatever the biggest news of the science fiction world has been for the past week, whether it's like a sure. an industry trend or, or something else has caught my eye um, as well as like whatever books I'm reading um, other links that I think are worth and, and other news items that are worth um, looking at. Um, and for, for supporting subscribers who who actually to pay to get it and to, to support my writing, um, I do uh, some other like in-depth features and um, reported pieces, as well as book reviews, um, interviews with authors, com- uh, in-depth commentary, um, the, the rise and fall of Anovos. Um, I did a big piece recently about um, a storytelling platform called Curious Fictions that shut down and, and sort of what role that filled within the science fiction community. Um, sure. And a, another big feature was a... Um, uh, called Inaudible is about an audiobook narrator who spent um, two months creating a new audiobook edition of Dune, and ah. only afterwards discovered that the whole project was a scam, and he was out all that work. Um, oh. so that, those, that's where you can basically find my more in-depth thoughts on on the world of science fiction. Um, I'm talking, and in the next couple of months, I'm going to be talking a lot more about cosplay and, and as, as the book ramps up. Sure. Um, at some point, hopefully in the near future, I've got a I've got a podcast I'm working on that'll be called New Worlds. Um, the first season will be about Dune and the story of how that uh, the novel and basically where Frank Herbert got his start all the way up to the um, the the upcoming film. And yeah. um, so that that's that's sort of an in in the works projects that that's coming up. Um, so yeah, we'll see how. Um, hopefully, that will be out to listeners at some point in the near future. Um, and I'm on Instagram at, um, Liptek AA, um, Liptaka, L-I-P-T-A-K-A-A. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I post up, I've been posting up, um, cosplay pictures as I've gone, as I've been going to conventions. Um, also sure. a lot of, of book pictures about what I've been reading and stuff like that. So, well, we know that we can find you on social and I know that people who are listening to the podcast will love the book that you're putting out. So, uh, thank you again, Andrew, for being on the show and, and talking with me about it. I hope to come back to Vermont at some point in troop with you because I would love to get my armor out there um, as, a, as a former resident of Waterbury, then Burlington. You know, I, I would love to do something if there is some great event. And I'm so glad that you added me to the to the Vermont group. 
uh, so I can follow along because I think that would probably be a bucket list thing for me to be, would come out to the green mountains and do a troop with you guys. So Andrew, thanks again for, for being on armor party and we look forward to following along with, with what you've got going on. All right. Well, I look forward to chatting with folks and, um, when the book comes out, I hope people enjoy it and, and, and you know, read it and enjoy it. And that is a wrap on our latest episode of Armor Party. I am your host, Mike Forster, signing off and wishing you a happy panic as you rush to complete those Star Wars Halloween projects. Yes, I'm also planning on doing builds. I'm also in the process of building. My Mando has been approved by the Rebel Legion, and now I'm just waiting on the 501st. So by the next time I talk with you, hopefully I've got a couple of proof costumes, but I know that panic. So keep with it. Make sure that paint's dry. Armor Party is proudly part of the Thank the Maker Network. If you like more general Star Wars discussions, I've helped out over the past couple episodes to help as one of their hosts. Nick completes his latest tour with Bayside. Find Thank the Maker on Instagram or Twitter and get your fix of weekly Star Wars discussions. We always have a good time over there. Our incredible theme music and audio production is done by my talented childhood friend, Alton James. He's been pushing me to work on this Star Wars fan film. We've kicked this idea around, and now that I've said it publicly, I might actually need to follow through. Check out Alton's incredible work as a composer and also a Star Wars super fan himself at Alton underscore James on Instagram. We'll see you in two weeks for another episode, but as always, remember, being an adult is boring, but building armor is a thing but. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> <laughs>